Have you ever encountered this thing called Singapore noodles? No. What are that? So I'm over here in uh, in uh, ANZ, as they say, Australia and New Zealand, in Sydney and uh, I don't know where I am, Auckland. It's a lovely place. Lots of water over here. If you live in Texas and you come over here to New Zealand, you're like, wow. I don't think they even know the word drought here. Just like, just the, the, water everywhere. The the outside literally dripping with water, just like everywhere. <laughs> so, anyhow, I've noticed, and and I've certainly realized I've seen this other places, but there's a there's a strong Asian food presence around here, as you would expect. And I've seen this concept called Singapore noodles a couple times. I I think one of them was in the uh, the 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 Qantas Airport Lounge in Sydney. You know that you know you know how an international lounge is. It's they actually it's sort of like it's sort of like if 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 you were to go up two notches in quality from like a uh, a, a school lunch cafeteria, that's kind of what they serve there, plus alcohol. And and so like they had this spread and they had these Singapore noodles. And then here at the DevOps Days Auckland on the lunch buffet, they had Singapore noodles. And as far as I can tell, it's like spaghetti noodles with curry, I think, or at least something that makes it yellow, and then a meat. And some vegetables, but uh, okay. And is it is it good or is it just, is this just like a, a fancy way to say like pasta and, and chicken? That, I'm, that I'm, I'm leaning at? I'm leaning towards the second. Now they did have duck breast here, uh, okay. which is nice. But I'm leaning towards what you're saying is like I'm pretty sure this is just spaghetti, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, this goes back to like how every uh, culture really just has the same kinds of food with different names. Yeah. It's just like, you know, naan is just a really good tortilla. Exactly. You know, it's just like, it, it all just like translates. So uh, I've not, I, I've never had Singapore noodles, but they do. Just hearing you describe, uh, well, before the description, just hearing the name, I was like, oh, that sounds pretty good. I know. And now I'm like, well, it's probably just pasta <laughs> with chicken. <laughs> Which is like, oh, no, I don't want that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, now that I don't eat like noodles very much, it's just like it's not appetizing at all. Like still the idea of a heavily meat sauced spaghetti, that sounds delicious. But just like yeah. rando noodle. But then if you just keep reducing it, it's like I don't really need the noodles. I could just eat the meat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, and, then, and then I don't really need a plate. I could put this in a cup. <laughs> Yeah, you're just kind of always back to like, you know what's really good? Meat. Meat's really good. Oh. And then, and then you're just and then you just rename it. You call it barbecue, and everyone can use their hands. You're like, done. Fuck, I figured it out again. That's right. Uh, well, speaking of figuring it out again, I, lo- I love a non-transition transition. I thought this week for our uh, – let me look this up so I can get our long title. Our software-defined talk members-only white paper exegesis podcast – Episode number nine. I thought we could look at a. Uh, we've looked at. We've looked at a presentation. I gave that presentation here, by the way. Always, always fun. And uh, let's see. We've looked at a couple PDFs, analyst reports, some yes. waves, magic quadrant. We did a wave. No, we didn't do a magic quadrant. We did a wave. Yeah, wave. yeah. Yep. And then a press. I think we did it. We did the PAS magic quadrant, didn't we? Oh, we did. I'm uh, sorry. We did a, a wave, a magic quadrant, uh-huh. a press release, press release. Yeah. Now this time, this time, we're gonna do a tech news article. About okay. titled titled. This is from the new stack written by Susan Hall. All the reporters over there are good. She's a good reporter too. Never met her. Seems to know what's going on. Called Kubernetes 1.8 arrives with improvements in stability, security, and storage support. Now, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Now, if that sounds like an exciting article, 
you just gotten the TLDR on on my sort of and it, it's it's not it's not really her writing or anything. It's just the topic matter. This this article, this style of article, is usually really boring. And there's really like even the best of people. Uh, and I think the new stack writes great stuff. You can't really spice it up. This is just sort of like um, it's kind of like the equivalent of uh, I don't know figuring reading how traffic signals work. Like, you're not really going to make that too great, but the important thing is to transmit the information. So, um, I don't know, it's a relatively right. short, or short article, but, article, article, but I thought, I thought it would be good for us to go over uh, sort of like, in the same way we look at the other things, kind of the meta layer of how tech news and, and tech journalism fits into the grand scheme of things, how it's done, what the formats are, and uh, just our general life experiences with it, as we like to do. Right. Well, but... It- I'm in for all of that, and I think the you know to bridge to our last episode where we talked about I think the press release like when to do a press release, when not to, right? I think I did say something in there about like, hey, you know when you do those point releases, you know, and you're like not sure, um, but everyone wants to do a press release and they all want to get some articles, uh, and it, and I think I even said stability, like because they don't if they had put like rearchitecture in here, you know, if that had been in the headline. Um, so this sort of like gives you some insight into they did a new release. Kubernetes is a hot topic. And I think they actually, I'm going to give them credit here. Like they didn't go to the New York Times, nor would the New York Times ever cover something like this. But I think, you know, this is the place, the new stack. If you will, it's a little weedsy, right? You know, to you know, reference another podcast. So that this readership is going to be, if anybody's going to be interested in this level of detail, I think it's the new stack reader. So to the credit, um, when they did this, they briefed the right person, right? They went out and found an outlet where like people are really going to care about this. Now I don't know, maybe they did pitch it to the New York Times, but New York Times is picking up. But the new stack is going to pick it up. But it is right away from the title. We we know right away when we read this, right, that it's like, hey, this is heavily interested, uh, targeted to tech people, really, really interested in the details yeah. of Kubernetes. I think no one, and to her credit, I think she just put that in the headline. It's like very skimmable. You're like. Nope, not me. Next, right? Like it's very easy to <laughs> determine if I'm, you know, because even the the release number one point eight, right? It's like okay, you know, if you didn't know what one point seven was, you definitely don't care about one point one point eight. Yeah, yeah, so. the one point eight release. No, and and like all those reasons, I think it's it's uh it's representative of this type of article. I mean, you, you have to tell me. I was trying to make a list of the types of 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 tech articles. And I think, let's let's see. So here we have the software release, right? And just as you were saying, I think I think in most instances, you, there's not really a software release thing unless it's, what do they call it, a dot release? Like 1.0, 2.0, like major fanfare. But, or no, this is a dot release. I don't know what they call those. But uh, major release, but... Like a point release. Yeah, like, yeah, a, yeah. like a point release. Yeah, but... This but, isn't like a... It's not a major, it's a minor release. But right? in the... So first of all, the new stack. So the new stack, as their name would imply, their whole shtick is basically like infrastructure and... Uh, infrastructure as a service and platform as a service. That's the wrong way of putting it, but they're not really into operating systems. They're into basically what I've, I, I, I have always studied. Everything above the operating system, right underneath the actual application. Right, so all of that DevOpsy, cloud native containers, all the stuff we actually spend a lot of time talking about. So, as you were saying, because Kubernetes is like the hottest thing now, it makes a lot of sense that you would you would cover 1.8, right? But usually, you know, I do see every now and then there are other in other areas. Sometimes a beat 
you know, a topic area that a reporter covers is so slim on news. And you see this a lot in the application development stuff that people will just cover obscure rando stuff. And I'm sure you, like me, you've encountered this because, um, you know, you've spent uh, time covering the identity management market and then the monitoring market. And there's not a lot going on in those markets. <laughs> and so, so when you're covering, when you're reading, re- trying to read all the tech news on it, you'll get like, you know, really obscure stuff uh, that's written up. Although in those two areas, I don't know if anyone writes about that stuff anymore. But um, yeah, it's usually, as you were saying, only the deepest trade rags, so to speak, that you would find a point release for something beyond. Now here, again, with Kubernetes, like the register covered this and like, I assume there's no New York Times. There's, of course, some sort of Forbes contributor or whatever that is who wrote about it. So there was much more broader coverage just because it's so popular. But usually this kind of... uh, this kind of article doesn't have that coverage. Now, then to quickly go through it, as I wrote down, I think I think the other one, the other kind of news that you have is things set at a keynote, usually by a CEO, right? Like sort of the major announcements of a company that they have at a conference where sometimes they, they ship in a bunch of uh, reporters. Sometimes you just watch it online. And I guess the height of this is an Apple keynote, but that's a whole, I don't know, that's barely tech news anymore. That's more just normal news. And, uh, yeah, they've transcended to like mainstream. Right? Yeah, yeah, they can call it the New York Times. Mainstream. Yeah, yeah. And then you have, you have, I wrote down new technologies and markets. And that's sort of like, this is kind of a thought piece, but it's sort of like, like people used to write about cloud a lot. Like, what is cloud? And so people are right about that. And then you have, I don't know, like analyst ephemera. Whenever analysts come out with like a uh, some report or market sizing, people will write about that. And interestingly, like... Uh, a lot of analyst shops will have PR agents who go out and pitch those stories to people, which is kind of funny to think about. And then you have the uh, the uh, ambitiously vague thing, thought piece. And th- those are fun. Just sort of like, you see a lot of these, especially, I guess I write these sometimes, but you see a lot of these, especially from consultants who are like contributors and they're, and they're trying to write about like, uh, how is the industry moving? And, and sometimes, and there's... So there's even more obscure trade uh, rags. I don't know what they're called. Trade journalists that'll be like uh, insurance industry technology or like, you know, supply chain technology. And th- in those, you see a lot of like, there's almost endless pieces about like technology disruption. Often, whenever you see something like that, I always find, I always scroll down to the bottom to see who the writer is. And inevitably, it's like from Accenture or Booz Allen or something, <laughs> which which is fine. But and then uh, and then and then there's the profile, which I think, if you've ever read, I think that's basically what Cade Metz at Wired does now. The, you know, it's it's a big. Uh, they'll go out and get a professional photographer, take pictures of people. They'll talk about the history of this thing. It probably takes multiple days and in interviews, and they write up this big profile. And I think the classic one of these in my mind, um, and it's coincidentally self-serving, is I think in 2012 or 2011, he wrote a big overview of Cloud Foundry when it was in VMware. And I think the, uh, the title of it is um, The Man Who Threw a Chair, or the, the Man That Balmer Threw a Chair At and Survived or something. <laughs> <laughs> and and so there's some anecdote that like you know Steve Ballmer threw a chair at this guy when he was at, at Microsoft and I don't know anyways so so Cade Metz is really good at that kind of story and you see that a lot in more mainstream and I think I think when like Recode and the information and Pando are trying to be all like fancy professional we have conferences with big overstuffed leather red chairs type of people they'll do these profile stories and I don't know I have a lot of thoughts on those but then you have the quarterly earnings stuff which is just you know 
Oracle had its call, IBM had its call, whatever, here's the results. And there's an art to making those interesting. Those can be good or bad. And then uh, and then I think I think finally I made a self-serving category, just like random gonzo stuff. And this is like, so I write this kind of stuff. That's kind of a thought piece, but it's also like, you know, for entertainment purposes only. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then Matt Assay writes these really well, right? And there's another guy at the register who who I really like, uh, named Trevor Potts. And he writes these kind of stories too. That's like like kind of like Gonzo's slice of life. And I, I link to one. The one that I remember the most is he starts off and and I don't mean to be making fun of tragedy or whatever, but it's 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 a it's a rant that he has about tech press releases. And he starts off and he's like, This was a hard week. My dear friend of 15 years died, my cat. And then he like goes, he goes through all these other things in a very gonzo style, and then he gets to complaining about press releases. So I don't know. Right. There's some other ones, but do you think that's a good representation of the, the, the I, think, I think it's pretty good. I think you just, I think the other one would just be the provocateur, right? Just the, you know, like someone just taking the opposite side of something like, uh, like there is no uh, private cloud or there is no, like, yeah, I don't yeah. know, just whatever. Uh, where someone's just trying to like juice, I guess. Juice I guess, a lot of I, guess I would put that. They're in just there. trying to take some the thought, the mm-hmm. thought piece, right, or something like that. Yeah, yeah and I yeah. think you're right, but I think there's the thought piece where they sort of interview a bunch of people yeah, and pull together yeah. some like original thing, and then there's the, like, oh, you know, there's just sort of somebody gets up in the morning. It's kind of like a takedown. He's like, I've had it with DevOps. Like, does DevOps even exist? You know, like, you know, it's just someone. You know, I think sometimes we all. Uh, me included. It just you just want to start from the beginning. You're like, this is all wrong, and then you write something, and that gets everybody. And then if you're a big enough a writer or you're a big enough personality, right, it can get uh, a tremendous amount of uh, yeah of press. Yeah, I, so, I've been thinking. And sometimes, and sometimes I will say, sometimes those points of views are really well done. It's like, yeah, man, you read it, you're like. Wow, someone should have written this a long time ago. And sometimes you read it, you're like, no, this is yeah, just yeah. Like I, I, don't, I don't have an example of that, but I remember several years ago there was there was a series or not a series. There were some of those articles that was basically like, big data is not as big a deal as you think. Like it's more about medium da- data and small data or data or whatever. And like, I mean, I think there were articles written about that. How like if you look at like the data sets that people have and what they're doing, like, you know, a spreadsheet would be fine. Like, like they don't really have the need to do all this analysis, which is is uh, you know, that's interesting. Yeah, and like I've been th- I've been toying with the idea for my register column of writing um like a uh, no one actually does DevOps piece, which one I sort of think is true. Like I've been thinking about this, not to not to get too distracted, but like I don't know if I've actually talked with people who have like an orthodox DevOps team in a regular organization, which is a a troubling thing to think about. So like, it would be interesting to know, like, I think people more follow an SRE model where you still have ops people as kind of separate, but they know how to program, which is fine. But then also it would be nice to see how, uh, you know, your best fans are the ones that like really dislike you, but they keep reading everything you write. (laughs) They're they're like, they're like pressing on, on their own bruises, so to speak. And it'd be nice to see if anyone noticed to be like, hold on, You've written for almost two years about DevOps, and now you're telling me no one does it? That would be awesome if someone had that realization. <laughs> well, I think there is. You know, I think you're probably, the, you know, certainly one of the people. I mean, probably the ideal person to write it. Like, there's just this idea of, like, aspirational corporate culture and technical development. And then there's this reality. It's like, and I think there's just, like, that's just part of life, right? There's, like, we all have aspirations and, like, 
the way we'd like to do everything. And then there's the brutal reality. And I think agile DevOps, all these things are, right, are like, when you really drill down on them, in a lot of ways, it's like, I'm just trying to make my job better for my team better, but like, I'm not able, I can never get everything done. Like no one is ever getting it all done. Right. And it's just like, and if you happen to be the person that gets DevOps perfect, you're probably are the person that has like a bad strategy. You know what I mean? Like you're building a product perfectly that no one wants. Right. Or vice versa. Like you're the guy that has a really good idea, but like it just, you just can't build it. Right. You know, so, um, you know, no one is good at every aspect of it. And that's why I think these things, like we get caught up sometimes in our aspirations versus like, you know, and it's okay to have aspirations. I mean, I think we all do. Right. But it's, it's also okay to be like, okay, well, you know, we didn't do, we didn't all stand up at the stand up meeting. Let's not freak out. Let's just keep going. <laughs> You know, like, you know, you kind of like that's like the funny thing in Agile all the time. And DevOps, I'm sure, has its like, you know, it's it's a equivalent stand up meeting kind of like nomenclature. It's like, okay, life's gonna go on, guys. Let's exactly. just you know build the system and put it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so then so then back to the article, right? So just as with any journalism, I mean, the point of this is to uh, tell the reader what happened, some information, and I think this one is a little slim on uh, in a beefier article you know, maybe a Kubernetes 2.0 or whatever, you would have, I think you would have a lot more context discussion, sort of discussion of like, why do people care about this? Who are customers doing it? Some momentum. And I think, I think uh, I have a link to the, uh, the registers equally short coverage and they kind of do that. I think in the second paragraph or something where they're like, uh, large enterprises are interested in this. <laughs> I, I mean, they... well, I think there is like a meta point about just like, you know, even before we get into the kind of article, just the fact that articles are written about Kubernetes 1.8 tells you how successful Kubernetes yeah. is, right? Like this is such a hot topic that a fairly mundane point release is getting you know, major coverage, at least from the tech publications in this world. And, you know, I, I just call this like the curse of success. Like when you, when people are writing about the stability, security, and storage of your enterprise, of your uh, product, right? Like, yeah, like you're being really, really successful, but now everyone is looking and everyone cares about these like minute details that, you know, frankly, probably aren't like world changing. They're just things you got to get done. And it's just like, you know, would you like someone if someone, you know, came to your house and like was like, you know, reporting on you doing your laundry? You're like, yeah, this isn't that big of news. I'm just doing laundry, right? This is kind of that level. And I think it's good and bad, right? It just sort of like it's just shows you how successful they are. And but now, of course, like everyone's asking about these very minor things, which may or may not be interesting um, to the Kubernetes team themselves. Who's yeah, yeah, no, and, and I, I think I think that starts to point towards another reason why this is a good article to like uh, exegesize, if you will, because um, because of the boringness of the content, <laughs> right? It gives it gives you a chance one to to think about. You can kind of, if you know what you're looking for, you can kind of read through the way the article is written. And also, if you compare it to like the register piece, how it was written in other pieces, about how the group of people who are covering this decided to do their pre-briefing and structure it, right? And, and then it also allows you to kind of spot some of the things that are lacking from the standard format. So to, sort of like, I mean, basically, I mean, the article's short enough. It really just goes over, as the title says, like, here's some new features that allow for like, I don't know. It's 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 the it's the software is better. It's more enterprise grade, <laughs> right? Like like there's no like genuine awesome innovation. Like we finally cracked having artificial intelligence that can decide not to be stupid, right? Like there, there's no big revelation in there. And so, um, 
something that is missing that, that would be better, that would be good to have is there's not really any customer quotes, which you often see in a, in a piece like this. And a, you'll see it in like the major release thing, but there'll be at least one customer that's been lined up by whoever the interests are, which we'll get to that are, that are pitching this. And there'll, there'll be, there'll be references that you can speak to, or, you know, that they'll, they'll give you, a, they might give you a quote. Like when we talked last time, we, uh, we talked about how the uh, continental tire people will quote it at the bottom of the, um, the Heptio press release, right? So you want to have something like that. Now, uh, I'd imagine the other thing that you can do if you have a lot of time, which tech reporters don't, and so I imagine Susan didn't really do this, is, you know, you could go out and find people talking about it. Um, when I was an analyst, I had the luxury of time, so I, I only had to write like one and a half of these things a week, so I could go out and search for things. But And, you know, also the OpenStack, they do a lot of podcast recordings and interviews. So if she had had time, and I guess Alex Williams worked on it with her, you see at the bottom, but they probably could have found some little chunk in a podcast to add in there. But, you know, and this gets to the point I was making is, or not point, the other thing I was alluding to is, um, the process that a tech reporter goes through doesn't really allow for that kind of research. All they really have is the knowledge they have in their own head, um, and what they've been briefed on, and maybe a press release, and if they're lucky, like a PDF that goes over stuff. And, you know, it's not very often that you have time to really like call up other sources and get quotes on stuff. It's not like, it's not like the old news thing where there's a guy with a, with a hat on that says press or, or that lady from the Hudsucker proxy who's always staking her Pulitzer on things. And, you know, she's, she's calling up her sources and like getting some, the more background in a quote. Like I imagine, I mean, I, I don't, I would imagine a piece like this, you have a maximum of two hours to work on. <laughs> and so you don't have time to source a bunch of things, uh, essentially. And, but that said, I mean, I do think it's just, sometimes it's just the structure, right? Like I think the way to frame this, you know, a broader framing of this to your earlier point was the reason stability, security and storage are important is because Kubernetes is really being embraced by large enterprises. And that's, you know, so the quote, the first quote from the group product manager you know, you would hope, right, he would have said that something like that. So it's like the quote that he got gave was rather than being a grandiose release with many new features, this is a release that deepens existing features. Like that, I mean, that's sort of like, I'm surprised he gave that quote that way. I mean, I, I wasn't there, of course, but maybe he said a lot of other things. But, you know, I would have hoped he would have led like, hey, this is really focused in on enterprise features for some of our largest customers because the, the data point, that's a little bit buried in this is about two paragraphs down where they actually go on and say, uh, there's a real nice statistic from your friends here at Redmonk, yeah. right? About 54% of Fortune 100 companies run Kubernetes. And that's kind of the news is like, um, I think they're trying to, I think that's the framing, right? Is that like, listen, Kubernetes is, you know, over half of the Fortune 500 is using, Fortune 100 is using it. And we expect that to continue to rise. And that is why it is so important that in the life cycle of Kubernetes, that things like stability, security, and storage, while maybe not glamorous, are going to be very important to the success totally. of this going yeah, forward. Yeah, yeah. Like, because to me, like that's the news, right? And then the details um, kind of shape that around that. So that would be my my biggest, you know, overall comment. It's just just to frame that a little bit, because then I think everybody can kind of understand. Like, okay, I get it. I get why they're going into this detail, even if I don't. I care about the detail. Like I care about that first part, that first. Yeah. Sentence. Yeah. No. And, and I, th I think that also brings up another thing of a format is they do, you know, she does include like some numbers, some, some context, but to your point, like 
I mean, I mean, I guess it could be called out more, right? But uh, it's not. It's not exactly. Um, I, and also, that study, if you look at it, is a little weird. Or I shouldn't say it's weird. Their methodology isn't exhaustive enough. Their explanation of it to look at it. I think. I think if I remember the way they did that study, I think we talked about this a few episodes ago. Is they like did a combination of searching for job ads and the old Stack Overflow thing, like matched up with company names to kind of figure out like interest, which implies penetration of that stuff, which is fine, right? But that's that's another example, and I always overthink this stuff. But that's an example where if you wanted to add even more context, there's a lot more surveys and market sizing that you could go to. I mean, that that would be, let me think if this is true, other, other than having a more interesting topic to write on, which we've covered, that's off the table, that's out of scope. Uh, you know, that, that would have been the, right. I think the one thing that would have made this article better is if you had like a more beefy customer quote, and you had, you had something that was a little more like competitive, right? You, if you had more of the context to flesh it out. But again, but again, like if you only have two hours on this topic, you're not really going to do that much. Yeah, and I don't know. You know, we weren't obviously wasn't in the briefing with the Google product manager, but this is just, you know, I would say if I was, you know, on the other end of this and I had been giving the briefing, I would have been disappointed that this was the quote they ran with. Like I would say to myself that I didn't do a good job in that yeah, briefing, yeah. right? That they somehow I let that reporter leave and just say that, well, because, I mean, it's almost like an excuse rather than being a grandiose release with many new features. I mean, it's just negative, right? Yeah. This is a release that, you know, like that's just never – that's just not good. That's just not good uh, uh, press communications. Like you need to give them the headline, especially if they only have yeah, two yeah. hours. Like tell them like, hey, I want to tell you about this new release. It's really important because it's focusing on enterprise uh, stability, security, and storage. And it's going to be great because half of the Fortune 500 uses yeah. it. You know, and then you just like you don't apologize. You never apologize for what you've done, right? You tell them like why you've done it, who cares about it, and then this is where I think you know analysts and press sometimes get frustrated with product managers or people giving briefings is that they'll tend to say it like fifty times in a row, and you're like, I got it, like stop saying that. But the reason you're doing that is that you don't end up with a quote yeah, like yeah, this, yeah. right? That's like, oh, you know, I know I was annoying there, but I think you got my point, right? That's the way you want to kind of. Leave yeah, it yeah, no, so so. So two like two like textual things that I just noticed, and then we should talk about the the briefing experience. Like, so one, I didn't actually go hunt down a press release, but there is a uh, Kubernetes.io official blog post, which I think Susan links to. But so it's interesting to look at that as a primary source. And so one, uh, so they cite the Redmonk thing, and everyone always forgets to capitalize the M in Redmonk, but that's fine. No problem. People, I've noticed that, that humanity has a lot of trouble with camel casing. It's just like they must have been traumatized by their middle school grammar teacher, and they just like they can't make themselves do it. It's just painful for them. It's true. It's I was once told that my, my punctuation and capitalization strategy was very German. I, I don't really know what that means. But, but uh, anyways, so, so they cite that Red Monk study, right? So they're, they're providing that as an easy thing to pull from, right? And it's it's also interesting to note if you look at the register piece uh, written by I love this this uh, this byline Thomas Claiborne in San Francisco. I'm pretty sure that's not his name, but it should be. That should be like his uh, his his uh, nom de guerre. I'm Thomas Claiborne in San Francisco. Claiborne in San Francisco. Um, I don't know why they felt the need to put that in there. Um, but you'll see that in his second paragraph, which I was lauding earlier, he says, uh, more than half of the Fortune 100 companies with a way to create coherent blah, 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 or use this stuff or something. So it's interesting, right? Like, this is one of my pet peeves, as long-term listeners know, is like, 
I think he probably read or was told this Red Monk thing, and it's just like, oh, yeah, it's over half of them use it. But he didn't feel the need to link to or cite it. Or, even worse, he did, and his copy editors, and this happens to me at the register sometimes, like, took the link out. Just, like, unexcusable, right? Like, if you're going to claim this, and let me see if he, more than half the companies, by the likes of Pride and Reddit, Kubernetes provides... Yeah, 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 yeah. And it, he, this is this is why it's so important to pay attention to like penetration versus market share, because so he takes this half, and it's not really his fault. He takes this fifty-four percent of Fortune one hundred companies are using Kubernetes in some way or are interested in it, and he and he writes it as it provides them with a way to create a coherent code development and deployment scheme that spans on-premise and hybrid cloud systems. Now, that sounds like a lot more than I got a couple of machines underneath my desktop and installed Kubernetes on it, <laughs> right? Which, which is not to say that's what all of them did, but that's, you know, there's a big difference between, like, it solved their problems for all these Fortune 100 companies and, like, they're just messing around with it. So, anyhow, that's uh, – now, the second thing before we go into the briefing structure was if you look at their blog post, they actually provide you with four um, – let's call them customers, for customers that have some astonishing things uh, that you could cite. And then this gets to a meta thing that's really annoying. Like when I would write these pieces, these types of pieces as an analyst, and they would provide me like really good customer stories like you see in the user highlight thing, there's this weird reluctance to use it because <laughs> you feel like you're just cutting and pasting stuff. So it's hard, right? Because these are like good, pretty good write-ups, and you would like to just put them in there, but you feel some responsibility that you can't just cut and paste from the press release. Um, and then sure enough, like I don't think either of the pieces really cite any of these customers, which is tragic, <laughs> ultimately. So anyhow, so it's a good, good day. But I don't know. I think that's. I think we talked about a little bit this last week too about the analysts, right? Like trying. You know, when you're talking about going through the process of a, as an analyst giving a quote, right? Like there's just this feeling of you're trying to maintain your own um, totally independence, right? And I think that's what you know. All these journalists are trying to figure out. They're like, well, you know, I'm, I'm not like if I can't. Um, talk to the customer myself yeah. right and kind of hear this and verify myself because this is something i you know kind of getting into the briefing side like both with analyst and with press right they if you don't give them like you what you need to do is if you want to get the actual customer quote in you need to pre-call the customer right and say listen i'm gonna give this journalist your name would you please spend whatever 15 20 minutes yep. talking to them and then, you know, you kind of have that pre-conversation. And then a lot of times, right, like they'll just ask you like, well, I, I think I can do it, but like what are they going to ask? And then you kind of tell them what you think they're going to ask. And then you kind of say like this is kind of what I – this is what I was thinking you would say, right? So you're you're, you're kind of having like the pre-briefing with the customer contact. Yeah, the pre-briefing, right? pre-briefing. And, and that's just like – Right, and that and that's just to like, and again, that may or may not sound like, oh wow, you're trying to like really, you know, influence them or whatever. It's like, no, no, you're not. It's like dating. You're just trying to get, you're just trying to make sure that the person will pick up the phone and they have some context for the person that's going to call them, right? You're not really trying to tell them what to say. You're more just like getting them comfortable, just like you would get someone comfortable, like, hey, I'm going to introduce you to. This person, I think you guys should go out. Like, here's a little bit yeah. about them, right? This is when, you know, this, and the, again, like, that's just a normal human interaction. But, like, I don't know, sometimes people just get real, like, you know, upset about it. So then you have that, okay? Then when you're on the phone with the press or the analyst, 
you know, you do your whole thing, you, you know, you obnoxiously keep saying the same message over and over. And then at the end they're like, well, like, I'm, I think I'm gonna write something out. Like, do you have any customers I can talk to? And then at that moment, if you can send them the email phone number of the person, right. And let, and then just say, yeah. And then if you tell them, just like you pre-brief the other guy, you'd say, listen, I know they're going to be available around this time on this day, if you call them. Um, and then that opens the door for them to just ask questions, get it direct. And it just, everyone feels much more, uh, independent yeah. doing it that way versus like, you could just give them the quotes, right. Or just, hey, here's the write up I just did. So, um, so anyway, that's just good about like, if you want to get it, you have to have it all set up so that the call can happen immediately. Uh, and if it doesn't happen, you're not going to get the quote in your in your. Yeah, writing. and and there, you know, there, there's there's sometimes it's a real like boss move to have the customer on the briefing with you. But then, as you're alluding to, it's also sometimes better to have them on their own, right? So the reporter doesn't think that like you know mom and dad are there to make sure nothing bad is said. Which, which I mean, the relationship between customers and vendors is always kind of weird. But uh, you know, there's always like there could be genuine interest in it, and also I think pretty savvy staff at, at customers know that it's very hard for them to raise their profile in the industry and translate that into promotions and things. So I've noticed that, that ones that end up changing jobs or getting promotions a lot, they, uh, they're not afraid to go talk to, as one might say, shill for vendors <laughs> or talk about their experience with vendors, which is great. And anyways, but then it probably is, it's, it, it can also be nicer to have the customer be on the phone with their own. And it also helps build trust with your customer too. It'd be like, I don't, you know, you'll say whatever's good. Don't worry about it. And um, uh, what else was I going to say? Yeah. Like, you know, I, I'm, when we were an analyst, we were always trying to get customer calls, but they don't really work out. Very. It's, it's hard to schedule them. But then that, that also I've noticed with reporters and this gets back to how little time they have is reporters have that annoying thing that like salespeople have where they don't really realize that like scheduling meetings is, is an invention that humanity's come up with. They just will like call you all of a sudden and like expect you to have time to like talk with them. And I mean, not all of them are like that, but it kind of gets to the thing where like they're working on a deadline. And so they just start calling people and, uh, and talking with them. So you were, you were alluding to a little bit. I think you have probably done a lot more press briefings than I have. I've only done, let's say maybe three or four in my life as a vendor, um, maybe a little bit more, but I, I used to do a fair amount of when I was working in the, the, the public cloud team at Dell and the software team. And I've probably informally done some at Pivotal, but I think you've done a lot more. So like, what, what's the process? Like walk us, we can kind of skip over the, like we've decided, well, unless you think it's really important, but we've decided that this is going to be a news item. Uh, but then like, who do you get involved and what do you do? How long does it take? Like what, uh, what are the good, bad things that happen during this process? Yeah. Well, I mean, once you've you know got it out there and you've decided that you are going to write the press release. So, you know, see last episode to, to, <laughs> to hear about when and when you should do that, but when you're ready to go, right. So you got to get with your, you know, a large company, the PR team will be different than the AR team and a smaller company. It will probably be all one, as you like to call it, just one comms department. But, um, when you get to like pretty big companies, you'll have like a whole PR team that is basically just dedicated to working with the press uh, in your area. And so those are those PR people you really are counting on to have their relationships with the editor and the journalists, right, that cover your area. So, you know, typically what you'll do beforehand is that, you know, you will have 
authored the press release or be pretty close to having it like all done, um, you'll sit down with your PR person and you'll go through like, okay, this is the message. This is what we're going to go through. And that's just kind of like refreshing the press release, making sure everyone's on the same page. And then you'll start to work down with like, okay, here are the journalists I think we should go after. They then will come back with a set of journalists they think also should know about it. And then you'll actually run through like a whole calendar of uh, getting pre-briefing set up. And the other thing is to set up the embargo, right? So that's just simply saying that we're going to release it on this day and time. And everyone wants to be consistent that like when you tell the journalist, like you give them all the information, you say, okay, you need to hold it till like Monday, October 15th until this press release comes out so that it's even. So everyone can write their articles um, and, you know, it'll all come out at the same time. Like anybody that either if you don't embargo them and they write beforehand before everybody else, that will just make everyone mad. And then, of course, if the journalist breaks that, that's really taboo. That's how you like stop being a journalist. People will just stop briefing you, right? Because it's like you can't do that. You have to keep it on a level playing field. So that's sort of all the logistics. But then when you get on, you know, you're normally going to do a much shorter, you know, maybe it's like probably max 30 minutes, but it's usually like somewhere between like, 10 and 20 minutes and i've done them both in person as well as you know and we kind of go on like a little tour if you're in an area where there's lots of journalists you kind of do like a bunch of little meetings where you get on the phone and you know and the difference with journalists i found and analysts is that analysts for the most part like a lot of them like i don't feel like they're if they are they're not taking a lot of notes they're more like just kind of there's a lot of like two-way conversation yeah. and like you're going to send them some stuff afterwards with journalists it's usually like they're they especially when you're in front of them they will just be they'll have a laptop open and they will be looking right at it and you'll be talking and they will just yeah, be yeah, typing yeah, incessantly like, like it's almost like you feel like you're like dictating yeah, and, and to that point to that. I, uh, not all of them surprisingly not all of them but there's there's a handful who just will like walk up to you with the recorder on like i i used to talk with uh with paul krill who i think writes for InfoWorld a lot and i talk with him a lot because he would cover application development in java and um he would he would ask me but he would come up with his little recorder you remember it's like those miniature recorders now in his hand and he would just be like kind of yeah, interviewing and just like click he would start recording and it is a little like it's a little jarring as like a normal person. You get used to it after a while, but it's just like, holy crap, we're going, right? Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm on the record. Yeah, I mean, without a doubt, like if they're, um, you know, if they're not recording, they're typing super fast. And yeah, a lot of times they will bring a recorder because that's, because they really are trying to consume, you know, because they, they know, I mean, they're going to write about it in the next maybe the next few hours, maybe the next day. Like they're, it's not going to be very long. So they, they really are trying to suck out of you like, What's the headline? What's the what's the lead? What are the things I need to know? And then you as a person doing the briefing, this is where you really do need it. You have to be able to read the audience a little bit and also just kind of like whatever background your PR person or you personally have is like, you know, not everybody is going to be an expert in this area. So this is back to like, you know, and, I've, and I should, I guess I mentioned before this, like most large companies will make people go through like AR and PR training before, you know, like to like not only to know about the policies, but also to just work better with like you know it's an easy thing to be like oh this is stupid it's a corporate thing but it's actually pretty helpful like if you're to have like a former journalist come in and explain to you this is what the job of journalists is and this is what they're looking for because then you can kind of like hopefully give it to them in a better format so like 
once you're kind of like in this, you know, kind of going through your, your information, if they're super technical, like something like the new stack, right, you're going to go into a lot more detail than you are maybe somebody um, at like a different publication, a more general publication, right, where you're just trying to like get the high levels, make sure that they feel comfortable with the concepts. And if they have questions, they're either answering them or the other thing that journalists are really good at is they, they will definitely consume stuff that you send them that sort of helps them with background. Like if like, you know, if you've got like a two page primer on something that sort of like goes into it, like an FAQ or just a high level thing, they are the p types of people that are going to read it because later on they're going to want to consume it to make sure they understand it and they're using the lingo the right way. Um, so that's really good too. That's a good tip is to like, you know, like, again, sometimes people feel like these this information is too obvious. Everyone knows it. It's like, actually, no. For a lot of these journalists, that will give them a background. And then they can take your notes that or your uh, specific message and quotes that you gave them. And then they'll kind of weave it all together into, you know, generally something that's a lot more consumable uh, than, like, a white paper you personally wrote. Because they are good. I and mean, that's the one thing I think journalists – and I think this, this one at the Newstack is a good example. Like – they take a really complicated set of stuff and they kind of make it just a lot more approachable, maybe even more approachable than the guys at Google, or even if they're writing it, right? And that's a, a really good um, – and I've often said, like, you know, I know, like, journalism, like, journalists are always, like, worried, like, all the jobs are going away. I'm like, really? All these journalists should be hired yeah, yeah. into, like, write in corporations. Like, like yeah, just go interview everybody. Like, the best tech docs would be, like, a journalist walking around, like, doing interviews. Like, what is this thing? I don't know what you're talking about, right? Like, you know, and, like, someone putting it in human readable terms. Yeah, so, and, and, um, on, on that, so then again, like, note, like I, think, job, I think about – Go ahead. What year is this? 2017? I guess maybe, like, four or five years ago, there was a whole – I think this is when, like um, – Ziff Davis was shutting down and, and like a couple of the major, uh, whoever owns networking world, a couple of the major like tech sites just like shit the bed and fired a bunch of people. And so you saw a lot of those journalists, some of them went off to, to fortune. Like you also had GigaOM shut down, which freed up a bunch of journalists. Um, but you saw a handful of journalists get hired by vendors to basically this word doesn't apply anymore, but basically to be bloggers for them to do content, right? Which, you know, I work on content, so I don't think it's terrible. Uh, but ba basically, do exactly what you're saying is like we have these blogs and these community sites, and we just can't write anything that anyone likes. <laughs> and so, like you and uh, man, I can't remember her name now, but it's uh, Du Bois, Du Bois, What's her name? Yeah, yeah, she, yeah, she went. CA, to, right? Was Isn't it CA? It, she went to work it, for. Yeah. yeah, she was like one of my favorite yeah. like journalists over at Networking World because she she did exactly what you should just describe. She could make concise uh denise Dubois, i think anyways I'm just embarrassing myself at this point um but so she moved over to ca and then you had um you know it wasn't really noticed but some of some older journalists like steve gilmore and peter coffee work at salesforce and and it seems like a team like i do and the team no one's really sure what they do but people like the results <laughs> like in, in kind of a evangelist team and um you know, and, and, and every now and then there, there's another phenomena you see to go a little off the rails where uh, journalists move into being an analyst, which my former shop, 451 Research, was started by a bunch of journalists. And um, I was um, – another another journalist I, I really liked, uh, Nancy Goring, she works over at 451 Research now. I was kind of encouraging her to uh, look into that because she was, she was also very good at um, – I guess she basically did like APM and monitoring news. You've probably read her stuff over the years, but she's uh, she had worked as a journalist long enough that she really knew the context and the history, that kind of thing that is very valuable for an analyst. And uh, 
she's done pretty well there. But yeah. 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 So just to follow back up, there this you is go. Denise Doobie at CA uh, at CA, and she's still. Uh, I was just double checking, make sure she's still yeah. uh, at the uh, title I, I, strategic content creator. But I, she was. I think former. at some point, Derek, mm-hmm. is it Harris who writes architect io or whatever like he's got a good little independent thing going on i think he might have worked at a vendor for a little bit but uh obviously long enough to figure out he didn't want to work at a vendor because it was a, sh- a short amount of time but <laughs> well i do this is like off topic but like you know it's like back to like when i ruled the world if you know uh case studies customer case studies are like the hardest thing in the history of the world to get done i've always said uh, if someone like put me in charge of all this stuff, what I would do is I would hire formalist, uh, just tech journalists or any really any journalist, and I would tell them your beat yeah, is the customers so that nice. use this product, and you need to just you need to have the because like journalists have the skills to be like yeah you got to go find them and convince them to talk to you like that's like a big part of being a journalist right like like an investigative journalist so that's what I would try to like I've always thought like I want to hire someone and be like yeah like. Here's all the contacts. You got to go convince these people like to talk to you and tell you like what they're doing and why it's great. And then I want you to come back and write it in like really uh, interesting, accessible uh, prose that's like very similar to that. Because like anytime you just someone takes like this is the big difference between a tech writer, right? Or someone's like, well, we've got a writer for the uh, we like we, I always love how people are like we have a writer for the case study. It's like, well, that's great. I mean, that's just <laughs> like all we have to do now is like find the story, find the customer, get them to do it, schedule everything, and put, you yeah. know what I mean. It's like writing it is actually not as complicated as. Um, so that's it. So that's a little tip. Like I I want somebody to hire a tech journalists and be like, that's your beat, man. Just go at it, and you just go write as many articles. To, to as use a not very good metaphor, it. it's kind of like like cooking, right? Like. There's a lot of skill in writing the article or like cooking the thing correctly, but also you got to like buy the food, you got to cut it up, maybe wash it first. You got to like get your seasons out, like there's all this preparation work that you have to do. And similarly like you're just saying, like a huge a huge part of what a journalist does is they know how to hustle and like hustle in the baseball sense. And and to some extent in the in the hustler yeah. sense of like like you're saying with a customer case thing what would be good is is and again this format of article we're going over doesn't apply what i'm about to say doesn't really apply although it could if you want to spend a lot of time on it but you almost would want to have a frame of a story that you wanted and you would kind of start coercing people to say things that fit (laughs) into your framing which which can be in the bad case your framing is wrong right all of these things they're only bad when they're wrong (laughs) <laughs> but but if you've if you've done the right framing, then you can kind of coerce people into saying the right things and kind of filter them down to, to fit into it. So there's a lot of that like hustling up and wiring stuff that, that journalists need to do that like a tech writer, it's not really there. They can barely usually do that with the developers. I mean really good ones can, but you know, it's not it's not their job. So so let's see. So we kinda kinda went over the the, the briefing the customers, I think. Or the, or the way the briefing feels on that end. And, and I would just add, like, I think there's two things I would add to that. that um, and I think I've, I've experienced this. One, like, for, for a news event like this, you know, we're having to reverse engineer a lot of this. But looking at the, the spokespeople who are cited, who are quoted, and then also the original Kubernetes.io quote that's kind of co-authored by a lot of people, you can tell that there is a multi-organization uh, team of people let's let's see who you've got one you've got the um you've got 
Aparna, the, the lady from uh, Google, talking about it. Then you've got a developer advocate from the CNCF, the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. And then a Kubernetes ambassador from Microsoft. And then someone from another one from CoreOS. So what is that, five? So you essentially have like five spokespeople. And did I count right one? Anyways, I'll let the listener recount for me. Do a little, uh, little Florida business there. But anyways, uh, you know, you got to coordinate all these people. <laughs> and and that that requires a lot of meetings for the meetings for the meetings, right? And one, I guess you also need to select these people. And also not listed here, there's probably a few other people who are the puppet masters and are like, these are the people we should speak to speak on this, right? Like the ones who are orchestrating it. And so, you know, obviously you spend a lot of time coordinating with them, getting the messages down. And it's kind of like the it's highly related to the press release thing, but a lot more... Um, ad hoc contact sport because with the press release thing you're just emailing back you know word docs or google docs with track changes on them but here it's actually going to be like live and so you got to make sure that the people aren't going to go crazy uh with that and you know you can see when this hasn't gone well uh sort of historical again i don't know a url to cite but like in the OpenStack world every now and then you could tell there wasn't like good syncing and this will happen in the java world sometimes where People aren't even a cluster, but there's a little bit of controversy in the Java world that you can always like kick up some shit uh, from people. And, you know, our favorite citation here, uh, it's always dodgy if some Marantis person is in your little cluster because who knows what they're going to say, <laughs> right? Like they're, they're, they're well known for their bomb throwing on stuff. And so uh, they may not always be the best uh, partner to talk with. And, you know, also a side of that is... Um, not to be all, all alluding to it, but, you know, in the same way that, that there's kind of like the two modes of Trump public speaking where he's reading from a teleprompter and then who knows what the fuck's going to happen. Like, <laughs> you obviously want the teleprompter right. style of people uh, that, that you're working with here. Or to just trust someone that they're going to say something that's not, uh, not too bonkers. Yeah, I think I think in the uh, the term of art in the world, yes. the message discipline, right? That's what that's you're looking for a group of people that have message discipline, right? That you put out there, and you you have total trust that they're going to be on message, which again, like annoys people sometimes, but it's also very effective, right? Because if you don't have everyone saying the same thing, then stuff can go really downhill. And I think there are numerous examples yeah. of, of that that we can see. So, um, and I think they generally, like, I, I, as I read through this, like, you know, I, I guess it's more like, it's like the app, like you don't notice message discipline, you only notice absence of it. So like, I didn't like think anything of it. So I was like, yeah, I think everything, everyone was on message. I didn't see any crazy flame throwing, you know, inconsistency at all here. I was like, yeah, everybody seems to be, everyone's just like Kubernetes is doing well. Yeah, make yeah. it more enterprise, and we and then I mean, and then the, obviously the, the unstated thing is, exactly. and we hope to make more yeah, money. Yeah, you know, it's like, you know okay. as as an example, I get like, it. Like, and and Paul Krill was one of these people. There's some journalists who are always, it's it's in their blood to always ask the annoying questions <laughs> or or the questions that, like I was terrible at this. I think I've noticed this before as an analyst is. If I had like, let's say, forty to sixty percent certainty that I knew the answer to a question, I just wouldn't ask it because. I don't fucking care. And it's annoying for me too, right? But for example, on that front, right? Like you've got Google, Microsoft, the CNCF, whatever. You got Google, Microsoft, and CoreOS. And essentially, when it comes to Kubernetes, to use my way of thinking, they're each stealing each other's money. 
<laughs> right? Like, like each of them would like to have 100% market share of Kubernetes, right? Despite whatever they may say. And so, like, hopefully, uh, and this doesn't at all come through in the two pieces we looked at. It doesn't even come up. Hopefully, they did have some coordination of, like, so... When they ask, aren't you competitors, and how are you going to reconcile competition, what are we going to answer? <laughs> and, you know, they probably, I don't know if that question is asked, but they probably gave the answer of like, uh, blah, 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 open source, working together, growing ecosystem, nah, right? Which is fine. At this stage in the Kubernetes market is totally cool. But like, for example, it would be sort of like if... Um, it would be an awkward call if you had like Red Hat and Pivotal and we were talking about, you know, OpenShift and Pivotal Cloud Foundry and trying to figure out how we would message around advancing in that. Um, and and th this is kind of what comes up in the Java world nowadays is there's there's several competing interests in the Java world and they just like, you can't really get them coordinated. <laughs> but everyone did a good job here mm -hmm. of not uh, pointing to the fact that these three companies are commercially incented but this is, at least the two big ones are competing with each other. And CoreOS is in that role of like, one of these people might acquire us or we might compete with them. So we got to be double plus happy good boys on all of this, good boys and girls. And so it is, uh, that's some good coordination that they had to do. And I do think, you know, what you're hitting on there a little bit too, it's just like, you know, there are different types of journalists, right? There's like the investigative journalist, the columnist, and then there's just like what I would just call like the more, the simplest journalist. Like, the simplest journalists are the, I shouldn't say simple, but like the most core form of journalism is just to tell you what's happening. Yeah. It's not to provide, you know what I mean? And like, it's not trying to provide lots of drama or details. And I, and that's what most articles are. Like if we read something about a sports or a movie, you know, actually movies not well, but if we read something about like a local event, like an, a new office opening or the city council did something like people at the beginning are just reading this to know what happened. Like the city council had a meeting, they voted, there's going to be a new park, right? Like, let's not overcomplicate this. But that's what people want to know. Then there's the investigative journalists who be like, the city council met. There was a lot of infighting. And afterwards, I talked to the city staff, and they said that, you know, then that's like a different kind of piece, right? And that's going to probably be more interesting, more investigative. It takes a lot more time, right? And then the columnist is like, the city council met. And let me tell you why they're just a bunch of idiots. You know what I mean? That guy's just going to go do his own thing. So, you know, you have to like know what you're, you're looking for. And I think in this case, this is the, this is the straightest yeah. form of journalism, which frankly, Kubernetes, that's what Kubernetes 1.8 deserves. Now, Kubernetes down the road, the new stack may do a d deep dive on like something like, you know, the state of the Kubernetes yeah. consortium, right? And that may dive into like all these different companies and competing interests. And it may be interesting to read, yeah, but it yeah. would be totally and, different. And, and maybe, maybe that's one of the, uh, as they say, penultimate or one of the last things to highlight is, so, and I always hate bagging on OpenStack, but they're like the natural experiment that we have. There's a lot of great stuff going on in the OpenStack world, but there are, it's been around long enough, as has Java. Oh, let me pick on Java, because this is a good example. And the same thing happens, is Java's been around long enough that one of the, uh, you probably know the word for this, but th the messaging got out of control. And like the story that's always out there nowadays is not only, is, is either is Java Enterprise dead or is Java dead? And that's almost like, that story just like never goes away. And I'm sure all the people, including myself, who kind of like are in or ancillary into the Java world, you just like, I don't got, I'm too old for this shit, right? Like I don't have, I don't have time for this story. 
But what happens is if you don't have enough uh, messaging discipline across your community, this thing just sort of creaks out and takes on a life of its own. So every time a major Java release comes out, pretty much every reporter is going to have at least a paragraph on, 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 is Java dead? Right? And like, similarly, in the open stack world, it's a similar kind of story that, that goes on, is for some reason, there's this, um, depending on how, how you frame it when your expectations are, there's this belief that OpenStack is not as successful as it could be. Um, and so that story comes up all the time. And, and it is like, I think, I think Kubernetes is young enough that that hasn't really come up in any way, right? No one has really even discussed the, you know, for example, one that I think if this was all you spent your time talking about that you could talk about is like, so what's the deal with all these different distros? Like, are they compatible? And another one could be like, so if you do public versus private cloud, what about that? Right? Like, so there's a few like little controversial stories, but I think because the community, all the different interests, like don't, I have no idea what's actually going on, but, but they don't appear to be fighting. Like it looks like there's no, no smoke there. <laughs> and so therefore it's hard to come up for the tech news people to come up with a narrative, an ongoing narrative that there's a problem. So there's good, uh, good control over, over that stuff going on at the moment, which you see here. There's no, uh, no negative. Well, I think you, yeah, I was going to say, as we wrap up, I was going to say, as we wrap up, I think that's like, you know, you're getting, what you're getting to is kind of like the most probably meta thing about all press and analysts and everything else is like the reason like communication professionals are so kind of obsessed about message discipline is they know if they lose control of the narrative, right? The broad narrative, once the broad narrative is sort of cemented and it sort of gets set, it is so incredibly difficult to change, right? It's like momentum, right? It's just like, you know, to, to go from like, if someone thinks you're like a company that's not performing well, right? To then change that narrative is a huge, huge effort. So that's why you always, and I think this applies to everything, whether it's like politics, tech news, movie reviews, whatever, right? Like if a movie gets word of mouth going, they're like, hey, it's, you know, it's maybe not as good as you thought. You're like, I mean, like studio, I mean, people are going to spend 50, $80 million trying to change the narrative, like run the commercials with like, you know, so-and-so gave it three star, you know, five stars, right? And because they know, because like, once it gets like cemented, like we're all, and we're human creatures and we like narratives and stories, that's how we process information that once we've agreed on one, yeah, yeah. it's very difficult to change it. So that's, that's why like all these guys, when you watch political talk shows, they're just hammering their message. They're like, you know, no matter what, or like the coach of the losing team is like, everything's going to be fine. We just had a bad day. You know what I mean? Like he is immediately trying to change the narrative. I'm like, we're not a losing team. We, it was just one bad day and we got it fixed, right? The movie is great. That guy that wrote it was, you know, he didn't get it. It's awesome, right? You know, um, and sometimes you're successful and sometimes you aren't. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, just, just before you just add my gold plating to that. Like, well, one... Do you get on Rotten Tomatoes? I get confused by their their rating system because I think red means bad, or does green mean bad, or is it a splat that's bad? I think the tomato is a bad. No, okay. Red is red is fresh because you like so it's like fruit, right? Like you oh, want to okay. see like a fresh fruit. Uh, red is good, so like fresh, like a so really good, uh, ripe okay. tomato. So green is, is bad, red, and then green, see, it's very confusing because in all bad. other walks of life, green mm -hmm. is good. It means. Like, 
but I've really just converted on Rotten Tomatoes. Now we're really off subjects. Like I just okay. convert to the statistic. Like really, what you want is like because anything above sixty is going to be is uh, fresh, and everything below that is rotten. But I think there's a big difference between a sixty-one percent fresh movie totally. and like an eighty-nine percent okay, fre- okay. Uh, fresh movie. And then, yeah, and, and just like there's a huge difference between a fifty-nine percent rotten yeah. movie and like an eight percent rotten right. movie. You're like, so, I'm so out. Then the I'm definitely not watching the. And, and then, and then I'll give the uh, the sign out here is. Uh, to your point of like losing control of the narrative, there's two examples. There's one, not to hit too close to home, so I will not name the company. There's one company, and you read about them, and they're known as the for 12 consecutive quarters of, of, of lo- losing revenue and negative growth company. It's probably 15 now, but so you don't want that. That's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's definitely higher than that. I have you don't, you don't, uh, you don't want that, that being statement. the uh, the they, the journalist got their text expander and they just type that in and that uh, gets inserted into there. So the, the on the converse the converse side of that is Adobe is an interesting company that got over a negative narrative, which is basically like um, they're losing money with this on-premise license software, or maybe not losing money, they're losing momentum. And then there's cloud, and what do they do? And how would you put Photoshop on the cloud? That's impossible. And over many years of working on one, actually being successful at it, and probably promoting it and going over the numbers, I think the narrative now, and it's because it's... Adobe still is not maybe as popular as it used to be, but if you read coverage of them, it's basically like they figured this shit out, right? Like the narrative around them is that they, they've done a good job of, uh, and of course, in true Halo Effect fashion, all credit goes to the CEO, <laughs> right? Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but you know, course, they, right, they've yeah. proven that they could turn this around and they suffered for, through a few years of the narrative being bad and now I think it's, it's switched over. But um, yeah, so anyways, I mean, as a summary, right? Like, Obviously, as a vendor, I think your interests are pretty clear for tech news. You want it to say that you're awesome and people should just start giving you more money, right? End of story, right? Uh, but I think, I think one, as a consumer, it's good, it's good to kind of understand how tech news gets written up because it helps you, you know, one, for example, you should go read the press release and go read other coverage and kind of be aware that many of the, the things they're citing have been fed to them. But then equally be aware that that's not necessarily bad. Like, that's perfectly fine, right? And kind of consume, know how to consume the, the stuff that's out there. And I think, I think the other thing that's, that's interesting about it is, uh, as I mean, the, my, our whole broader point of this whole podcast series is like, this is actually very, at a very important artifact and thing that happens in our industry, just like a press release or a PDF. So rather than kind of balking at it, it's good to understand it and know how to use it and, uh, and have value from it. So with that said, I was thinking, Brandon, since, uh, we haven't, we, since I've been traveling, I would make this another free episode. Now, it's only been uh, a few episodes since I've had a free one, so I feel like there's a little bit of uh, milk and cow thing going on. I don't know a better metaphor than that. It's a terrible metaphor in this day and age. But uh, we're giving we're, – you know what it is? It's like you go to Costco, and they've got so many samples, you could just go there if you're a retiree and just have lunch, right? Yeah, it's, it's the, the sample problem. So yes. I, think, I think I'll make this one free. And so there's a little, little background of what we got going on. I mean, is that, is that a bad idea, Brandon? Do you object? Okay. No, I think that's good. We're, we're full right. on into our freemium so, business model. So, so what you've potentially heard for free, if, unless you're some, one of the few people who've deigned to join our uh, Patreon, is this, this is, uh, if you go sign up as a member at patreon.com uh, slash SDT, you should probably sign up for $5. Now, we've had a lot of people uh, who've upgraded from the $1 cheapskate ranking to the $5. We actually like you and appreciate you rating. So that's good. 
not to say the one people dollar people don't, but you know, come on. You're listening to a tech podcast. You probably have money. Uh, and I just signed up to use the Zencaster thing. It actually costs money. And I'm just a poor podcaster. I, I have no significant streams of revenue or security, as, as everyone knows. It's totally false. Anyways, that's my hard sell. Uh, but uh, you can go over there and sign up for it. And then you get access to like all of, more or less do this weekly, where we have an episode like this and go over... Um, uh, way too much analysis about tech ephemera. And there's another free one that we had about, uh, what was it over? The Kubernetes landscape from someone? Forrester? I forget. Um, that we made for free. And that one was pretty popular. Here's another Kubernetes one. But there's uh, this is nine, so there's, uh, there's many more you can go listen to where we analyze uh, various papers. So, again, if you go to patreon.com slash sdt, you can sign up for that, and there's another one you can sample as well. And as always, you could just listen to Software Defined Talk for free uh, if you can put up with us at softwaredefinedtalk.com and subscribe to it. Here at DevOps Days Auckland, I think I've met five people who are listeners, which is insane. That's a lot of people. Uh, so it was nice talking with them. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>